How many of you are already, you could say right now, if I just left, God's already done something in me. Amen. Praise God. All right, so we're, we're going to dive into this. I'm going to get back to Philippians. And uh, I'm looking forward here, here in a couple weeks, Pastor Nick's, which, by the way, Pastor Nick's in Texas. Pastor Bill and their family, Pastor Nick and his family, they're all in Texas. So I'm thinking about starting like Return Church Texas campus. I mean, they're, they're going to keep going down there like that. We might as well do it, right? Now, but Pastor Nick will uh, be sharing. I'm looking forward to hearing. How many of you have heard Pastor Nick speak? He does a phenomenal job. So I'm looking forward to uh, him sharing the word here in a couple weeks out of Philippians. But uh, we're going to look into Philippians chapter 2. So if maybe you're new to Return Church and you haven't, you've, you've joined us this year and you're not aware of this, we, we've been trying to work our way through the entire book of Philippians this year. So we're, we're concluding the second chapter today, finally. So we've done a few other sermon series. I've got a, a sermon series that I'm getting ready to do in November that, that's going to be about our, our legacy, our heritage, our children, about reaching the next generation. So I'm going I'm to speak on that in November. But uh, we're going to spend a good bit of the rest of our time this year in Philippians, closing out this book. And man, if, if you want just a very in-depth Bible study on Philippians and you've got some time, go, go to our YouTube page or our Facebook page. There is a whole archive. Of, we started in verse 1 back in January. We started in verse 1 in Philippians. We have preached through this book. So if you want to understand the book of Philippians, there is a lot of resource there. I would encourage you to dig in. And so we've talked about this. There, there's this overarching theme in this book of, of unity, of being like-minded. And it, it stems, we find through the study of this book, that it stems, there was some kind of division. We don't know exactly what it was, but there was a division. And Paul writes, the, the whole purpose of this letter that he writes to the church at Philippi is, is to encourage them towards unity. And we, we just, uh, I don't even remember when it was, it's been almost a month probably since we, we preached the passage about Christ's coming, about how he humbled himself, right? He was obedient to the point of death. He took on, though he was God, he took on the nature of a servant, right? And so Paul, in his admonishment to this church at Philippi, for the people to work together towards unity, he gives us the ultimate example of Jesus Christ, right? And the way that we overcome, we've said this, the way that we overcome any problem is through Christ, right? So if there's conflict, whatever it is, whatever challenge, whatever situation, whatever problem you're facing, if there's deficit, if there's need, whatever it is that you're facing, the way that we overcome that is through Christ. Christ makes a way for us to overcome in every area of our lives. He's a healer if you're sick, right? He's a deliverer if you're bound. We, we can go through that. He, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is. And, I, and we can just stop right there. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that he is? Is what? Well, do you need healing? Do you believe he's a healer? Right? Do you believe that he is Jehovah Rophi? Right? Do you, do you feel unworthy? Well, do, do you believe that, that he is uh, uh, Jehovah M. Kadesh? Or uh, I'm, I'm getting them all missed, the names of God now. Uh, what, what is it? The, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sidkadu, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shama. Je I'm forgetting it now. But it, the point is this. Do, do you believe that God is whatever you need? He that comes to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that he is? Right? Faith 
A lot of people have faith in faith. We need to have faith in God. We must believe that he is, right? So the way we overcome is through Christ Jesus. And so Paul presents to us a beautiful picture of the humility of Christ Jesus. And, and, and for a long, long time, early on in my Christian walk, it, it was hard for me to come to terms with the fact that we serve a God that is very humble. And I think the greatest demonstration of that is just the fact that if, if he weren't humble, he would have wiped us all out a long, long time ago. Because he has the power to do that, and we, are, we were, we aren't anymore, we were his enemies. We were in rebellion, in opposition to him. And so if God were not humble, he would have just wiped us out. But he is humble, right? He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any of us would perish. He has humbled himself to the point where he came, became a man, robed himself in flesh, and died upon a cross. So that, that is the ultimate in selflessness. I just want to talk to you for just a few minutes. I'm going to try to do this in about the next 10 minutes. I want to I talk to you about living a selfless life. So Paul moves from Jesus, and as he goes on in this chapter, he moves to two other characters, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so let's look at this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. The Lord Jesus, but, but I trust the, in, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged. with his father he served with me in the gospel therefore i hope to send him at once as soon as i see how it goes with me but i trust in the lord that i myself shall also come shortly so that's his presentation of timothy then in verse 25 he says yet i consider it necessary to send to you epaphroditus my brother my fellow worker and fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. This is Paul in prison, and, and he's more concerned about the well-being of the Philippians than he is about his own well-being. They, they're, they're concerned for him, and he keeps going back to the fact that he is not really concerned about himself. He's concerned about their well-being. Receive him, he says, therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Hold such men in esteem. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death. Look at that. Not regarding 
his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So he gives this example, two examples here, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Of Epaphroditus, he says to him, he, he did not even regard his own life. He came close to death to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Now, there's not a lot said about Epaphroditus in the scriptures, but as, as you study, you can find out some, some things. And, and, and some of it you really have to draw out of the cultural context. We don't know for sure. But Epaphroditus was more than likely a retired member of the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard was uh, an, an elite guard. It was like the Secret Service. They, they were uh, with, with the, the king at all times. They were his uh, protection, his, his guard. And we understand that when Paul was under house arrest, he, it was a Praetorian Guard that was watching over him. And we understand that when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he is under house arrest. He is probably under the watch of a Praetorian guard. And he would actually have to pay his own expenses when he's under house arrest. That's why he talks to, to the church of Philippians about su supplying. And, and this was not Paul's habit. Paul worked hard tr to try to never burden the church. He was a tent maker, and he never took compensation for ministry. He worked hard not to do this. But th at this point, he's under house arrest. He can't work. And so he has depended upon the church of Philippi, and they have supplied his need. They have helped to support him as he is in house arrest. And there, there is some supposition that perhaps Epaphroditus was one to the Lord. He came to faith when he was serving in the Praetorian Guard and guarding the Apostle Paul. We know that the Apostle Paul said, hey, I'm not bound to these guards. They're bound to me. That's a statement that Paul makes. And it's for the furtherance of the gospel. We know that Paul won many of the guards that watched him when he was under house arrest. They came to faith because of Paul's ministry in house arrest. We understand that. Perhaps Epaphrodites might have been one uh, of, these, of these guys. He, he would have, uh, as, as a, a retired member of the Praetorian Guard, he would have actually received a parcel of land from the Roman Empire in Philippi. This was the cu customary that the, re uh, the Praetorian guards received parcels of land as a part of their retire retirement, and they would retire to Philippi. And so likely, this is how uh, Epaphroditus got into relationship with the Philippians. But he became a messenger for the Apostle Paul. And in history, it tells us that he, he's known as the first bishop of the church at Philippi. But what merit, what credentials does the, the Apostle Paul give about this man? He did not regard his own life. His willingness to give all for the sake of the gospel, right? And it's the same thing that he's saying about the Apostle Paul. He just got done saying about Jesus. He's humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. And then he moves to, to say, I'm, I'm about to send you Timothy. And he's a man of proven character. You know that character matters? Our character matters. That's why we need the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Because human resolve to be better is not good enough. We need the Holy Spirit working in us, shaping our character. Amen? 
We, we, we got to get crucified so that the spin that we're going to move on to that here in just a minute. But we, we've got to live from a place of, of being crucified with Jesus so that we could live life unto the spirit. Amen. Because we need the character of God working in us. Character matters. Uh, I'm going to skip over Paul. Uh, I, I was going to go through a whole section of dealing with how how Paul. By the way, Timothy is a spiritual son of Paul's. He, his, his mother and grandmother were Jewish. His father was, was a Greek. And they came to, to, to faith, likely in Lystra. It's believed that, that uh, Timothy was saved in Paul's ministry upon his first visit to Lystra, where Timothy was from. And his mother was a Jew. His, his, his uh, grandmother was a Jew. And his father was a Greek. But Paul becomes to him like a spiritual father. They have this kind of ministry. And I was going to take you through some of Timothy, the writing to Timothy, and show you how, how, how Paul encouraged Timothy to have strong character. I'll, I'll skip over that. But I, I do want to look at the 78th Psalm. Psalm 78. It says, God chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his servant. So he fed them, David fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Integrity matters more than skill. Right? We look for skill. We're, we're, in, we're impressed by people with skill. One of the greatest drummers that I've ever known in my life Came to be a part of our, he was amazing. My wife enjoyed playing with him. He came to be a part of our church. And in, in a few months, he had tried to split our church down the middle, caused all kinds of problems. And I was talking to a pastor, a, a covering pastor, a mentor, and, and he said, did you learn anything? And I said, I think I did. And he said, well, let me tell you something you could learn from this, that, that character is way more important than talent. Right? Greatest drummer in the world, but a very divisive, hurt, broken, in fact, completely fallen away from the Lord at this point in his life today. Why? Character. Didn't have the character. A as a leader, you, you can guide, guide people with your skills, but you feed people out of your character. Look at what it says about David. It says that he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Character matters we're going through a book with a group of, of men that I, I I'm, I'm discipling right now we're going through a book that that talks about character it's called in fact it's called character matters our character matters more than our giftedness I'd rather have a, a man of integrity serving than an eloquent man I'd rather have a person with a pure heart serving rather than somebody with a beautiful voice our character matters and, and hey if you've got character and skill Great. Added bonus. But integrity, character matters more than anything. And this is the endorsement that, that Paul gives of Timothy. He says he's a, he's a man of proven character. We, we need to prove our character. Well, pastor, just stick me into this. No, we're not just sticking you into this. We, we want to get to know you first. We're not going to just let you preach on Sunday morning because you look good in a suit. And you showed up one week. No, proven character, right? We, we need proven character. It's a biblical principle, right? The Bible talks about laying hands on no man suddenly. 
What does that mean? It's talking about ordaining men, women into ministry. We, we shouldn't do it in a hasty way. Our pastor used to say, pick your captains carefully. Right? We, we've got a, the Bible talks about knowing those who labor amongst us. People that we put into leadership positions of ministry, they have to have proven character. And Paul gives this endorsement of Timothy. He said, I'm sending him to minister to you because he's a man of proven character. He says, I don't have anybody else like, like Timothy. Right? For all seek their own, but not the things which are Christ. But Timothy has been faithful to serve, serve, serve. What's the requisite for ministry? Serving, serving, and serving. Are you lifted up or are you humble? Are you willing to wash feet? Are you willing to mow the yard? Are you willing to dig a ditch? Are you willing to come and help clean toilets? Are you willing to come and dust? Are you willing to pick somebody up and take them to church? If, if, you, if you'll prove yourself there, you prove yourself fit for ministry. Our character matters, and it's proven in character. The reality is our, our ministries only begin at the point where our pride, ego, and self-centeredness ends. Should I say that again? Our ministry only really starts when our pride... Ego and self-centeredness end. I've got a whole series. In fact, I, I've got it mapped out. I, I just haven't gotten a release from the Lord to preach yet. A whole series about self. One of our biggest hindrances in life is we blame everything. My, my father-in-law, he, he, uh, he tells the story. He said one day the devil came into his room and he was crying and he sat down on the bed and he was just pouting. And he asked the devil, what's wrong? And he sniffled and snorted and wiped his tears and he said everybody's always blaming me for everything we blame everything on the devil when really the, when the biggest adversary that we have is right here self self gets in the way and as soon as we learn to crucify self as soon as we learn to say what 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 uh john john said in john chapter 3 verse 30 i must decrease so that he can increase mas de ti menos de me more of him and less of me right until we get to that point we will never be effective for the kingdom of god we've got to step back our lives have to be hidden in christ amen i, lo I love what raven hill uh, Leonard Ravenhill was one of my favorite preachers. He said, I hear preachers saying all the time, Lord, hide me behind the cross, hide me behind the cross, hide me behind the cross. And he said, what I want to know is why they ever got off of the cross. Right? It's, it's what, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but it's what the, uh, the, the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians. Right? I think it's 2.20. I'm getting that out, out of my notes. But he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. Our ego has to die. Our pride has to die. Our self-centeredness has to die. Okay, I'm moving towards a rapid close. This is closing number one. Hey, Steve Pixler had a couple closes last week. Made me feel good about myself. Not the only one. So we did a series. I, I can't remember, 2020, 2021. We did a series about, about generosity. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but we did a series about generosity. And I went back and... and pulled some things from the notes in that message, and, and listen to this. I want to do a comparison here real quick. Greed versus generosity. Greed is the product of self-love. Generosity is the product of selfless love. 
Greed is narcissistic, but generosity is Christ-like. Greed is fueled by lust. Generosity is motivated by love. Lusters take, lovers give. Greedy people are consumers. The generous are contributors. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? Think about it. Where, where do you fall on the scale? And we, I think we talked in that sermon series about the scale. Are you, are, are you over here on the generous side or are you here on the greedy side? What, how far on the scale are you? Where are you at? God intends for us to be generous. How many of you know God's generous? Amen. We've been recreated in his nature. The reality, the, the more I, I, I come to know and understand God, the more I understand how selfless that he is. He really is. He really is. I could get into that, but I'm trying to get through my first close here. Let me wrap up by, by saying this. Uh, we, we, we need a revival of being other-centered. Our American culture is so self-centered. It's all about me. I remember that there was a country song. It was about a girl that talked about herself all the time. And the, the hook, the, the, the line on the song was, I want to talk about me. Right? She wanted to talk about her, and he wanted to talk about me. That, that's, the, that's where we're living. Right? We, we love ourselves. We're our biggest fans. It's all about me. We've got to become others-centered, others-focused, others-first. That, that's really the whole point in, in what this letter, the entire letter, is really all about. Stop trying to advance your own agenda. Stop trying to get your needs met. Jesus Christ himself will supply all of your needs. That's the promise of this book. He'll supply every need that you have according to your riches and glory. Stop worrying about it. We don't have to, how many of you know we don't have to worry about our needs? He said, just go. You don't have to worry about your food. You don't have to worry about your clothing. You don't have to worry about your housing. I'll provide it all for you if you'll just obediently go and do what I've told you to do. God is going to take care of every single need that we have. Amen? Come on, somebody. Amen? Amen. God's going to take care of us. We've got to get an others first mentality. Just a, a couple verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24 says, Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. In that sermon series we did last year or the year before, I made this statement, a greedy person treats people as objects that are to be used, but a generous person treats them as gifts to be treasured. How do you treat people? Do you view people as stepping stones? Or do you view them as people that God has put in your life to serve? Think about it. People are not a platform for your promotion. Some people treat people that way. God promotes you. Amen? God promotes you. The reality that we need to understand in the kingdom of God is that the higher we go, the lower we need to bend down and serve. Final close. I promise. There's only one way to live a selfless life. Jesus tells us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 26, he says to the disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. And he says, take up your cross 
follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Whatever you do, and what you do, and what, I'm sorry, what, what do you benefit if you again, it, I'm having a hard time reading this morning. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, is anything worth more than your soul? Another statement from that sermon series. I'm editing my notes on the fly here. Cutting out a lot of this message. The generous, listen to this, the generous invest their lives in the prosperity of others. It isn't that the generous are unconcerned for their own lives and well-being. It's that they've discovered an unexpected secret. Life is most enjoyed when we give ourselves away. That's a reality. We are never truly free until we're free to give ourselves, until we're living a selfless life. Self is a prison. Self is bondage. Self-centeredness is agony. But looking to others, helping others, serving others, loving others, ministering to others, that's life. We were created. We were created for this. We were created to serve. It's our fallen nature that makes us so self-centered. It's our sinfulness. We were created to be servants. I heard a, a pastor tell a story about a, a man named John Stott. How many of you have ever heard of John Stott? John Stott passed probably about 20 years ago. He was a, a brilliant, brilliant theologian. I, I don't agree with everything doctrinally that he believed, but I'll say this. He was just a magnificent man of God. Godly, great character, full of love and wise. I mean, infinitely wise. He, he wrote all kinds of great theology, great books. He's inspired many, many of the guys that you may have heard of. They were students of this man, John Stott. I, th I think he taught at, at Wheaton for a while and, and mentored some of the great theological minds in the United States. I think Alistair Begg, if you heard of Alistair Begg, He's one, one guy that was, and I could give you a whole long list of people that were mentored by John Stott. But I, I listened to this pastor. He told this story of late in John Stott's life. It was, uh, you know, the last year or two of his life. And he went to visit him. I think he was at a university in the United Kingdom at that point. And he'd been many times over to visit him, but, and usually had gone to his home. But John Stott asked him to meet him in his office at the university. And he took him back from his office into his study, and this, this, this pastor noticed that there was a cot in his, uh, in his study. And so he, as he's leaving, he asks John Stott's aide, the, the man that's like his secretary, his helper, he asked him, hey, hey what, what's up with the cot? That, that wasn't there before? Uh, is he spending more time here? And he said, this was the answer. Yes, in fact, he lives here now. He went on a missions trip to Africa, and he sold his, his house, his bed, and all of his furniture when he returned and gave it all to missions. You know what they found out? John Stott wrote numerous, numerous works. I have, I have several books in my bookcase back in my office written by John Stott. He wrote numerous works. One, one of the uh, probably best-selling best theologians of, of the uh, 20th century. He never took 
one penny of the proceeds that came in for his books. All of it was sown to ministry. Just, I heard that story. What, what a beautiful, beautiful example of selflessness. Somebody who's others, in, in that, that, that aide told this pastor, his heart, John Stott's heart for these, these missionaries who were putting their lives on the line. I think it was over in Africa. The, the burden that he had, and he wanted so much to serve. He sold his house, he sold his bed, his furniture, and gave to these missionaries. What a story of selflessness. We need more of this. Selflessness will change the world. Selflessness will change your household. Selflessness will change a church culture. That's what I believe this entire book, the Apostle Paul is trying to compel the church at Philippi. Stop worrying about your own needs. God is going to take care of it. God's got you. Serve. Serve others. I would encourage you, go home and read the book of Philippians through. If you haven't done that yet, go, go and read the book of Philippians and see how many times this word serve, this idea of serving. He sets himself up as a servant, a slave, a bondservant. And all through this book, he's working towards teaching the ch this church at Philippi. Put your differences aside. Stop advancing your own agendas. Stop fighting. Be like-minded and serve one another. Live selflessly. I believe this is a huge key to church unity. When, when we, we meet every Sunday morning, our uh, worship team and a lot of the people who serve on Sunday mornings, we meet every Sunday morning in a huddle, and it was one of the prayers of, of one of the members of that team. I want unity. I want unity for this team. I want unity for this church. That was, that was the beckoning of it. That was the burden of his heart. We need unity. How, how do we come to unity? If there's striving in your household, there's only one way you're going to stop that striving. Humble yourself and serve. If there's fighting in your workplace, there's only one way you're going to overcome. Humble yourself and serve. That worker who's trying to get your position, humble yourself, smile at them, greet them warmly, say kind things to them, and take them to lunch and pay for it. And maybe they will get promoted and take your job. But God will get glory. And there'll be peace and unity in relationship. You may even make one of your best friends in life resulting in that. Amen? But listen, we've had a great time praying, worshiping, preaching. We've taken our offering. I'm going to ask you to stand. One more announcement. I, I, I forgot this. It was on my notes, and I overlooked it. Serena Davis. Wave your hand, Serena. So she's doing a—it's a fundraiser. It's called Water Steps. It's not even a fundraiser. It's, it's a missions effort to get water to people who are without. If you've got old shoes, it takes three pairs of old shoes, shoes that you don't want. How many of you have a closet full of shoes you haven't worn in 18 months? Box them all up. For every three shoes, you're going to get water to one soul. You just bring those up. There'll be a, bo a box. This will go all through the month of September. There's going to be a box in our foyer. Bring those shoes. Amen? And help, help people who don't have water. It's an awesome, awesome thing. I know 
several people that have this kind of ministry. They, they work with local churches, and it, it, that, that church oftentimes becomes the hub for the community because it's the only source of clean water. It's awesome, awesome stuff. Amen. I'm going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. Father, I pray that you would help us, all of us, to live selfless lives. Lord, right now we humble ourselves before you. We ask you to do a work in our hearts. I pray that you would come right now and shine the light of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And if there's an area of pride, ego, self-centeredness, abase us, humble us. Help us to love mercy and justice and to walk humbly before you. Lord, change wrong attitudes in us, Lord God. Greed, envy, divisiveness, contention. Change our hearts, shape our hearts. Let the character of your spirit be shaped into each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, Return Church. We love you.